microphone works, fantastic. I like Ecclesiastes. I was very excited, actually, when I was asked um, to come and talk on it. You know, I don't get excited about things like that very often. It's one of my favourite books in the Bible. You know, the bloke who wrote this book, is he's grumpy, and he's pessimistic, and he's moody, and he contradicts himself every three pages. You know, I like him. <laughs> it's a very down-to-earth book. The author is musing on life and on God, and he doesn't give us the answers because you know he says we can't know all the answers. It's not a jolly book, it's not neat and tidy, but it's in the Bible, so God thinks it's important. We're going to look through the first half of chapter three, which, if you want to look it up in the the Bibles on the table, is page four hundred and sixty-two. I think we have a video. Fantastic. Okay, we're going to um, start really with a, a table talk, and I have a challenge for you. In a minute, the text up there. In a minute, um, if you look on your tables, there should be some paper and some pens. What I want you to do in a group on your table, we're going to take this slide down and close the Bibles and turn your gadgets over and see how many of these pairs you can remember. This is a memory challenge. There are 14. (laughs) Are you ready? to lose, but with a connotation that you accept losing, you give up. 
I find that quite hard. You know, our culture teaches us that you don't do that. You never give up. You know, there's a time to uproot and a time to tear down. It might be a relationship or a dream or something smaller, but a time to give up. When we're going through those seasons in our lives, it can feel like God's abandoned us or we have failed or we've gone outside the will of God because surely you are not supposed to give up. Surely we are supposed to be joyful all the time. How can there be a time for hate or a time for war in the kingdom of God? It's hard. I want to tell you about a time when I gave up on something important. Some time ago, we made the decision to stop seeing my parents, to cut contact with them. And it was a hard decision. It had taken me a long time to realise that the way they treated me as a child was wrong, that it wasn't normal. You know, it was my normal, it was what I knew. And as an adult, my parents weren't interested in talking about it or mending our relationship. I went to counselling, I prayed a lot. And God told me to walk away from them. He said it quite a few times because I couldn't quite believe that I was actually allowed to do that. But he was very clear, and he said it through other people too, so eventually I did, I walked away. That was five years ago now. And every so often I remember that I don't have to see them anymore. And it makes me want to laugh and jump around the room like a prisoner who's been freed. You know, the decision was incredibly tough, but the aftermath is quite wonderful, actually. There is a time to tear down. There's a time to mend. You know, it may be that God will mend that relationship one day. Or maybe he won't. It's in his hands. But my point is that there are seasons of life where God does or where he asks you to do things that don't fit in with our neat and tidy Sunday school Bible worldview. You know, I'm special and God's got a sparkly plan for me. Sometimes God asks you to do things that just don't fit that. You know, this poem is in the Bible and it's there for a reason. It's not the a la carte menu. Okay, it's the fixed price menu. You don't get to choose, you get all of it. So if you're in a season of tearing down or of death or of weeping or of giving up, don't assume that you're in the wrong that you're outside God's will. You know, you need to stay close to God. You need to stay connected to him because, you know, this is the time that he is taking you through. Yeah. Good times come. Oop, don't want to go there. Bad times come. You know, the sun rises and the sun sets, but whatever you're in will end and change. You know, if we didn't have change, we'd be bored, wouldn't we? Let's face it. Life has a rhythm and it is God's work of art. It's unique and it's holy. Life in its entirety is a gift from God. All of it. Yeah, It's messy and it's unpredictable and it's nothing like as tidy as this, this poem, but it is from God and it is a gift to be treasured. And one of the keys is acceptance. I'm sorry, this is not very exciting. You know, we're going to go on and look at how the author of Ecclesiastes thinks we should cope with living through all these different seasons. 
But the first thing is that we need to accept that they happen. That the rough times are part of the plan too. Yeah, nothing is permanent. And we cannot always understand what God is doing, but we will press on. The writer of Ecclesiastes doesn't just stop here and kind of hit the bottle. He keeps working through it. And we do too. We press on. I had a bit of a Zen moment. That's where this Japanese picture comes from. I wrote a haiku. This is Ecclesiastes. Okay, three, one through about eight. Stuff happens. It stops. Now different stuff happens. This is how life is. There you go. I think that's a pretty good translation. We basically need to accept that this is how it is. Ecclesiastes reminds us of life's limitations. Yeah, we like to think that our success depends on our hard work. We like to think that if we eat vegetables and do some exercise, then you know we'll be healthy. We like to be in control. Yeah, if we pray right and we talk right and we say the right things over ourselves and do all the right holy things, then all will be well. It's not true. All of those seasons happen and you cannot stop them. Ultimately, they don't matter. Eek! Yes, they do matter. When you're in them, when you're in a bad time, it matters. When you're in a good time, it matters. But they don't affect who you are as a child of God. Yeah, throughout all the seasons, you have the same position in Christ. Yeah, the same purpose and the same destination. Life will go on like a whirlwind around you, but you and God are in the middle of that. And he is still the same because he does not change no matter how much life does. And you are in Jesus and he is in you. And it is important to stay grounded in that. God has set his seal of ownership on you. He makes you stand firm in Christ and he guarantees what is to come. So keep your feet on the ground and remember who you are Remember where you are in Christ and where you're going, because that's what you hang on to through the rough times. So we need to accept all the different seasons, but remember who you are. So this is going to be a good traditional sermon with three points, and that is my first one, to accept all the different seasons as they happen. The next two points are going to be shorter. Take heart. Right, let's have a look at the next bit of this passage. So it's Ecclesiastes 3 and 9 through 13. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. There is a massive amount of wisdom squeezed into these few verses. So we're going to pause and have another table talk. Here we have decided it was time for Lego. I want you to imagine that the author of Ecclesiastes, that would be the bloke with the quill, has come to sit at your table. Okay? He's just finished writing chapter three about then. And then along comes the other guy, the guy with the beard, that would be Jesus. He has also arrived at your table. You can have him at any point in his timeline that you choose. Take your pick. And what you have to do is imagine the conversation that they have. 
Have a think about what Jesus and the author of Ecclesiastes would say to each other. Okay. I hope that Jesus has some good things to say. This is a picture I found in uh, my son's school classroom when I went to open day. He's uh, seven. Um, they were told that they had to make a poster on how to make yourself happy. And this is his and his friend's uh, creation. I'm quite impressed if you can see down in the bottom uh, corner on that side, he's put sleeping as an option for a way to be happy. I'm, I'm with him on that one. That's great. And we've got generosity and, you know, enjoying your work and playing. I think they covered all the bases quite nicely. So far, I have focused on all the not-so-nice seasons. But, you know, a lot of you will be going through one of the good ones. You know, the, the dancing and laughing and loving and peace and new beginnings and all those things. And, you know, when you're in one of the okay seasons of life and you find you're still not satisfied and it's still not quite enough and it's nice but some of it seems a bit meaningless and you end up feeling a bit bad because, you know, everything is fine and you still want more. The reason for this is that God has placed eternity in our hearts. He has made everything beautiful in its time and he has also set eternity in the human heart. Recently I went on a walk with Theo's beaver pack. Beavers is like scouts for six and seven year olds. And we went on a three mile walk. Now, I appreciate that some people did like 50 miles last night, but, you know, when you're six and you've done a day at school, three miles is quite a lot. And we're about ten minutes in when the first child says, wait for it, oh, we're nearly there yet. Followed by my legs are tired. I'm tired. I'm bored. My tummy hurts. I need a wee. So we jolly them along. And we keep going and we sing songs and we search for things and we eventually we reach our goal. And it goes like this. I'm tired of we there. I want to go home. Oh, there's a playground. Can we go on the slides? Look how high I can climb. Will you push me on the swing? And these poor, exhausted, tired little lambs are suddenly running around like mad things. And a bit later, we get, I'm bored. I want to go home now. Where's my dad? Oh, there's my dad. Dad, Dad, I don't want to go home yet. Can we stay longer? <laughs> and they're only really doing what adults do, only a bit faster and a bit louder, aren't they? And in the middle of all this, there was a dog. It's one of the leader's dogs. They brought him along because we're going for a walk. And he trotted along with us and he enjoyed the walk, smelling all the smells, happy, like a dog on a walk. And when we get to the end, he has a big drink of water and he lies down in the shade watching us all. Totally content. When you meet all of an animal's needs, they're happy, aren't they? Humans, however, are different. Because we have eternity in our hearts calling to us. You know, if you were given everything that you need right now, you know, everything in your life at the moment that you perceive to be your needs, if they were satisfied right now, how long do you reckon you give it before you start thinking of new things that you need? Or before you start thinking that actually those needs that were just satisfied weren't really your needs after all and that wasn't quite what you wanted and actually you want something different now? You reckon a couple of hours, a couple of days? Do you think you might make a couple of weeks, maybe? Probably not more. 
Josh talked to us last week about how nothing under the sun satisfies us. You know, we look at education and pleasure and wealth and ultimately it doesn't work. We constantly run after new experiences and new sights because we have a yearning for something more. Every human society that's ever been studied has some kind of religious instinct. We look to nature and to music to find something that transcends us. Yeah, we dream of peace. We continue to hope in the face of loss. We long for God because he has put something of himself in our hearts. C.S. Lewis, clever broke, he said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. There is something deep inside us that wants more than we can ever find under the sun. There's another clever bloke, St. Augustine, and he said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they learn to rest in thee. We're supposed to find our satisfaction in God, aren't we? We're built to find our rest and our peace in him. We should stop chasing after the wind. But, you know, most of you know that, don't you? You know Jesus, you know to pray and read your Bible, you know to worship him. If you don't, by the way, Jesus would really love for you to get to know him better. Talk to somebody about that before you go home. You know, we're church, that's what we do, that'd be great. Most of you know where you're supposed to be resting. And the thing is, it doesn't always work. And then you feel guilty because you're clearly not doing God properly. Yeah? The good news and the bad news at the same time is that there is no point hunting for satisfaction in this life. You are not going to find it. Sorry. You'll get close by looking for that satisfaction in God. I'm not saying don't do that. Please understand me here. Keep running after God. But it won't be perfect. Not under the sun. Life changes around us. And then we have to figure out how to be close to God in the new place. I don't think God wants us to ever get settled down here under the sun. Because it isn't our home. That was my second point. The end is in sight, folks. God has put eternity in us. And we need to keep connected to God. But the very nature of it means that we're never quite going to succeed. Uh, Next week, Holly is going to be talking to us from a bit further on in Ecclesiastes about how we live when God feels far away. So more on that next week. But the author to Ecclesiastes has a possible solution for us. He says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. So you might remember something very similar from last week. At the end of chapter 2, the writer says we should eat and drink and find satisfaction in our work. Now he's thought on a bit, and he's added that we should be happy and do good, which is nice. We can find a lot of satisfaction in doing good for others. We know that, don't we? There's always a need somewhere. So these verses have some suggestions about how we live under the sun. Okay, They aren't the ultimate answer to life, the universe, and everything. Because we're never going to find that under the sun. There are no quick fixes. Do good, eat and drink, enjoy your work. The really important part here is this is a gift of God. Not only is life a gift from God, but the ability to enjoy it is a gift too. And if there's a gift that you don't have, you can ask God for it. 
Yeah, he is your loving dad. He is happy to give you good gifts. So whatever season we're in, we should be looking for opportunities to be happy in it. Yeah, to look for the good, however small it seems. To find things to be grateful for, things to appreciate, little things in our day-to-day work. And that is often difficult, isn't it? But when it's difficult, we can ask God to help. It sounds so simple, put like that. I've been praying recently, somewhere near-ish, the beginning of the day, sometimes. I've been praying, Lord, help me to find things to enjoy today. It's a really quick and easy prayer, but I have noticed that the enjoyment that comes is an active thing that I have to do. I'm not praying for God to wave the wand and somehow make me enjoy everything that comes my way. I'm asking for him to show me where to look. And he's been answering in a hundred small ways. The thing about eating and drinking, by the way, to the Israelites, they're talking about celebrating. Yeah, he's not talking about sticking your head in the kitchen cupboard and having a quick bite of chocolate when the children aren't looking. Although, to everything, there is a season. (laughs) He's talking about getting together with good friends and enjoying life over a meal. That's what he's talking about, celebrating. Because God's purpose is for us to enjoy the things around us. To be happy in those things is to worship God. They're God's gifts for us to receive. You know, it's okay to express all the bad stuff. You know, see the rest of Ecclesiastes for that one. It's okay to have a whinge. But look for the good around you because it will be there somewhere. I know that that seems like a really small goal. Particularly if you're young, you will hear a lot of, yay, you can do amazing things for God. And then I'm coming along and saying, you know, do some good, enjoy your work, celebrate. It seems a bit mundane. I have to say, a lot of life is a bit mundane. That's how it is. The amazing things are often made up of a lot of small things. You know, I've been to more funerals than I like recently, and I have seen how a lifetime of small things adds up to a really valuable offering to God. Sometimes the amazing thing that God wants from you is a life dedicated to him in the everyday enjoying what he's given you and helping others to enjoy it too. So, this is the things I think we should take away from this part of Ecclesiastes. That we accept the different seasons as they come. That we remember to connect with the eternity that God's put inside us. And that we look for enjoyment everywhere, in everything.